I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. This episode was about blockchain and the edge, although it's not where it ended up at all. And I think you'll find the journey fascinating. We started with a Web3 conversation for planning. We want to talk about Web3 and is it real? And that turned into a distributed infrastructure conversation, distributed web conversation, which led us to edge and managing and trusting devices on the edge and not via blockchain per se, but through distributed ledger, which then led us to the distributed ledger landscape, the DLT landscape. fascinating conversation throughout. And the journey is important because some of these technologies will be essential for establishing trust in systems, something we desperately need to get right. And the way we had this conversation, you actually walk through the progression and deal with these very important topics. They are going to keep coming up. We are going to talk about Web3 in future uh, sessions, roundtable sessions, and we're gonna keep talking about edge and trust and identity. So very fascinating topics uh, for us and enjoy this conversation. Yeah, I'm laughing because I'm I'm filtering unmoderated garbage. This I think this is maybe why it's so easy to trick the algorithms because there's so much un, unregulated garbage that if you have a small group of committed people who are very excited about a, a piece of content, the algorithms that that's enough to rise it above the the, the background ambient noise. Um, yeah. Um. Uh, just an FYI, the uh, art, the Moxie article that. I just said was uh, posted by Vint Cerf. So one of the drivers of Web 3.0. Vint Cerf is, is, is a Web 3.0 fan? Oh, he's a he's a Web 3.0 luminary. Huh, okay. Him, Brewster Kale is another big one. Mozilla is pushing it real hard. Those are the some of the the folks behind it. It's the the folks that want to get back to the ideals of Web 1.0, but because they've seen Web 1.0 corrupted into the Web 2.0, which is centralized, and they want to get I, back to peer to peer. I that'll be a really interesting conversation because I typically think of Web 3.0 as a bunch of crypto bros trying to hawk point uh, of the day. Um, it's more like, you know, if you look at what Inrupt is doing, which is Tim Berners-Lee's company, and how he's bringing on the quote-unquote Web3 version. Another Web3 guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, it um, It's much more about decentralizing the organization itself, as well as the way applications work and everything that we have come to know and love in, in Web2. But it's not so much just the crypto guys. There's a lot of big companies that are looking at Web3 as saying, this is a way for us to offload a lot of what is giving us grief and be decoupled from some of our operations and decoupled from some of our subsidiaries and and other obligations. It's in a way in two years from now, it may be spinoff center. One of the reasons why Web3 these days is so closely associated with blockchain, uh, and a lot of people confound blockchain and crypto, is well that blockchain does provide a decentralized <laughs> platform. So you already got half of the, the, the work cut out for you. Uh, but as Joanne said, like it's not necessary, it, it's just convenient. Well, crypto yeah. is one form of decentralized, blockchain is one form of decentralized. The idea is decentralization, and which is what's going to spawn a lot of in- innovation. Sorry, Rocky. And the Moxie organization, the Moxie article essentially says uh, that the decentralization ideas, uh, you know, this is something that he was interested in, but when you analyze what's going on, the gravity is such that it's really hard to stay decentralized because nobody wants to run their own servers and 
it's hard to run a server on your cell phone and it's hard to run a server in your car. And so nobody's doing it. So it all filters back to one or two sites. And as it filters back to an individual site, that site becomes more and more powerful. Mm-hmm. It, it it also intermeshes with edge computing uh, as, as well, and and that I mean it the yeah the concept of a Web three application is very different from a centralized server application. In a centralized server, you you need to have like twenty four seven availability and it's it's gotten to the point where where that's assumed to do to be the case all all the time. When when you start looking at web three applications, it you, you now need to break that assumption. You, you need to be able to operate in 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 a manner that where components of, or of your backend may not be available all the time. Like I, I, like as I said, Rocky, like with with us, like running something on your cell phone, um, but also again, like the the data not not being always up to date. So you need to deal with eventual consistency as opposed to um, um, say asset compliance, for example. You, I think we actually have we have the the handoff I was looking for between the web three sort of topic that we're planning to talk about. And I'm super interested now in this broader idea with decentralized and then looking at that as an edge technology and how, how it can apply to edge. Cause I, I really thought we were going to be talking very strictly blockchain for the edge, but maybe this yeah. is edge distributed technology, blockchain. Does somebody want to tee that up? Is this, so How should we be blockchain, at the whole the whole reason blockchain is part of Web 3.0 is theoretically, I, I mean literally, theoretically, you can't do decentralized until you can do untrusted everywhere. And blockchain is the glue to allow you to trust untrusted. It- it is. I wouldn't say so much untrusted, um, but uh, more about um, non-persistent trust. You, you all in, in a blockchain, you only trust appear as insofar as they behave nicely. If if a peer starts misbehaving, their reputation gets tanked. Um, so the same the same thing can be applied on on the edge, um, particularly when when you when you start intermeshing your edge devices as opposed to going through a central database, is that you cannot verify hundred percent that your peer is that your peer can be trusted. You can you can verify that the data may seem trustworthy at one point. And you can treat it as trustworthy until it's proven otherwise. But you need to have the ability to revoke the trust and, and to say everything that, that this peer submitted is now suspect. Yeah. And, and, and blockchain gives you that. And I should say it's zero trust. And blockchain gives you the ability to uh, tokenize trust. Mm-hmm. If you trust the issuer of the token. And that's why it's blockchain. But yes, it's it's the <laughs> blockchain. Yeah, the the block blockchain is the underlying uh, technology, uh, and blockchain and smart contracts, yada yada, are the underlying technologies for zero trust transactions. They're, they're trusted, and they're they're trusted if they're on the blockchain, and until the blockchain says don't trust them. Which really, in a sense, if you work it backwards, goes to do you trust the validators and the creation of uh, and the genesis of that block? Yes. And that's really where I have the issue. Yes. Agreed. Circular. 
Yeah. And it, it's a matter of consensus, like the same way with SSL certs, for example, like uh, and, and, and even DNS and, and, and BGP. At some point, you, you need to say, okay, I will trust this information that this peer is giving me because so far they, they've been proven to be reliable. And, and, and that's also why I mentioned that, that you can start out trusting, but you need to have the ability to revoke the trust. If, if, if the behavior of a peer is trustworthy, then uh, within reasonable limits, you can also assume that their data is trustworthy insofar like to the same degree as, as, as that you trust the behavior. But the the difference again is that the and and I, and it sounds like a broken record, but like you can revoke the trust, and and it's all it's all reputation based. Okay, if if you stop trusting a peer, you can start announcing that you that you stopped trusting them, and if enough people stop trusting, then they will have a negative reputation, and no one will peer with them. Uh, and that is a self-regulating aspect of the blockchain. It's not something that needs to be done manually. It sounds like it could be manipulated at scale politically, number of other ways, right? The, the whole reputation thing, I mean, that's a bunch of sci-fi around the whole reputation-based transactions. Where you know people wear the badges that say have a score for how many upvotes and downvotes they've gotten, and and you know some of the issues that come around with that. I, I'm, you know, my, I, I think my core skepticism here revolves around that a a very few people are going to own the infrastructure that the blockchain runs on, despite all this dream that everybody has their own system to run their peer on. It's going to be a service that's offered from the cloud or centralized that people are going to consume. And so that's one thing. And then if you go with this reputation-based stuff, right, um, there, there are an awful lot of ways that uh, somebody who simply wants to do damage to somebody else's transactional power in Web3 could, you know, could potentially rally some people and, and do some damage. And, you know, there's no adjudication force on the blockchain that I know of. There's no, there's no police force, there's no judicial system that can help recover somebody's reputation if it's unfairly marred. It, it, it depends on, on various factors. One is the, the, the size of the blockchain. Um, <laughs> like, again, you, you, your voting power is inversely proportional to, to the number of peers that you have. Mm -hmm. um, the other factor is also that it, the blockchain is it, it's not a fully connected graph as well. You, you, you can have nodes that never talk to certain other peers and, and still have a healthy blockchain. As long as the nodes that you peer with eventually peer, whether it's one, one hop or, or, or several others with the other nodes. So if your I, reputation, so if your trust is dinged by somebody, doesn't that travel through that whole chain? It, it travels to the direct peers. Who then communicated to the next direct peers, or does it just kind of stop there? Um, Good question. If, if you announce to your peers that you don't trust another peer, uh -huh. uh, that will weigh, that, that will affect the weight of your direct peers. But then for that to propagate to a second degree, third degree, they need to be able to, they, they need to announce their mistrust as well. So, okay. so even if you have a small set of, of nodes where, where you want to trust tank someone's reputation, you can only tank it within your 
immediate neighbors. Okay. And you I don't mean, think that there's, I mean, you know, things tend to move towards, even in peer-to-peer networks, things tend to move towards centralization of, of the flow of information. It, it, it does tend to, tend to right? do so. And so and the don't think is, there are going to be a few nodes or a few sources of nodes, of a specific sub-chains that are going to become central to communicating um, and it's not just the reputation stuff; it's even the you know content and everything else, right? It, the, um, it, it it depends on 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 the nature of the nodes or on the nature of the blockchain as well. Um, one common trouble point with centralization is that the chain may have may announce um, a certain set of boot nodes, which are which are the, the initial nodes of the chain. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and and those are the ones that every other node might connect to in, in initially to discover their peers. Okay. It it is not necessary for a node to connect to a boot node, but a boot node is the initial dis- discovery point on, unless your node is configured otherwise. Uh so yes, that like yeah, if I the boot nodes are taken offline, uh, then if you start a new node and you don't know any other peers, then you remain disconnected, hmm. and and that that could pose a problem. You can always scale the number of boot nodes. You can up you can update the the, but, the list of boot nodes that you announce. Um, but what you're describing to me though sounds a lot like a TLS domain. And why why not just do um, a TLS infrastructure here? It's, it's why not just do a database? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, you're trying to you're trying to ram sort of PKI type things over top of blockchain, and, and, and that's I mean, not- yeah, it, it is yeah the PKI. It's just a trustless PKI. Uh, I mean, if you want to look at the details, look at IPFS, because a lot of blockchains are are, are IPFS based. And, and they use the same uh, identity and, and, and verification uh, processes as, as IPFS. I guess I mean I'm, and maybe I'm where where we're where we're talking now. To me, I'm seeing a environment, an edge environment with a lot of devices in it, where new devices get added or devices might get compromised, and we could have them join or get removed from the, the platform by, you know, using blockchain as the sort of mechanism to say, all right, you know, is this new thing allowed to participate in that, in that, in this environment? And then if somebody makes, you know, a consensus has to, I, I guess I'm trying to figure out where that works. And does every device have to recompute the block, the, the, the whole chain to do that? Or is or am I just not thinking of the right use case? No, you are. You yeah. are thinking of the right use case, but and and therein lies the problem because you have old non-blockchain related systems that are single source of truth that don't necessarily have the same issues as the blockchain does at the genesis block, right? It's it's the source of the information that needs to have the trust and whether you use PKI or PGP or any other form of encryption, the issue is not whether they have a stake, no pun intended, in the game or skin in the game. It's a question of how much do you actually trust the veracity of the information and the authorization or authority of the individual's putting that piece of information together. So if you think about that in terms of your point of equipment, does an equipment manufacturer, call it a sensor or an actuator or something else, not to necessarily take it to manufacturing, but if you look at the initial device, if it has security on board, which is my big play for hardware engine, hardware protection as opposed to software, um, then you get over that hurdle because the human is taken out. It's in the EEPROM. It's in the, 
you know, um, core of that technology that makes the device work, sensor, actuator, machine, whatever you want to call it. And you get over that hurdle. If blockchain, if original chains were created that way, the Genesis block, then we wouldn't have this issue. I, I think we also, we're also confounding what, what we what we consider trust in a generalized blockchain or, or, or a cryptocurrency blockchain versus trust on, on the edge. Because uh, what we were initially discussing when, when this topic was brought up, like blockchain for the edge, was sensors uh, and, and processing of sensor data and, and how do we verify that a sensor data is accurate. And, and that is why, why I, I had proposed blockchain. Because in, in, in this case, your, your trust of a peer, in, in this case, a sensor node, uh, mm -hmm. would go as far as the data that the sensor provides falls within the acceptable ranges and, and does, not not, does not produce any conflict with other sensors' data. No. And Sorry. Sorry for interrupting you, but no, that's not where my trust would be. It would be who made the sensor? How is it registered? What security does it have on the physical device? So, so okay, so so that's what that's, which is which is why I was saying that 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 we that we've we we have different opinions, or we're talking about different types of trust. I I okay. I I'm, I'm I'm not saying that that your trust is, that your definition of trust is not is not valid. I'm I'm just right. saying that that is not the trust that uh, I was talking about. What when talking about trust on on the edge, but but I I think we we just we have two streams here, and we need to distinguish which one we're talking about. In in your case, verifying the the origin of a peer is what you're talking about trust. In my case, verifying what the, the peer produces is my definition of trust. They, they both need to be considered because, a, because a, an authentic peer, like an authentic sensor may produce untrustworthy data if it's faulty. Similarly, an unauthenticated peer may produce trustworthy data in, in, in the sense that it falls in line what, what every other sensor uh, provides me. Hmm. To me, they're a and continuation. And it's just not authenticated. Okay. You know, if, if the device is trusted and we, through testing, verification, whatever, validate that the information, sorry, the data that it produces is trusted because we know the device is trusted, then to me, this is just a continuum of trust as opposed to two separate streams. I don't disagree with you, Klaus. I, I hear exactly what you're saying. I just see that there has to be a linkage between the two. Yes, there is a linkage. A verified peer, so one way where you, where where you where you have the the, the uh, verified origin, you 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 have tested that at or you you have, you, you know that at the at the time at, at which you tested it, it it produces uh, trustworthy data. It mm -hmm. it has an advantage over an unknown peer in in that it it already has your initial trust, but it should not be an absolute trust. Agree. Are are we looking at this backwards, in that um, we're thinking about having a whether or not you let a sensor into the system? If you know, and and if so, I, I was like, yeah, that makes you know that makes sense. But in a lot of sensor systems, we're talking very hierarchical systems where sensor is managed by another tier in the system, and those that's a very tight relationship, and you don't have you don't need a blockchain or distributed trust for it. But in the, some of the models we've discussed in the past, the sensor is actually responsible for broadcasting its information to other devices as in a more meshed environment. This isn't a matter of do you trust the sensor, but it's a matter of does the sensor 
trust the place it's sending the data to? Could we be flipping the script here? Because that, that to me is where the blockchain becomes more important. If the sensor is attached to one device that manages it, then that's a TLS or a, you know, that's easy. If we turn around and say, okay, wait a minute, this component in my edge infrastructure might communicate with an undeterred, pre, an unknowable, pre, pre, an unknowable in advance set of, of endpoints, then all of a sudden it becomes really important for me to be able to say, all right, is there a trusted peer list that I know I can send data to? Actually, I would say it's even more fine-grained than that. You might know of peers, but you're not allowed to send data to them, or you're not allowed to send certain types of data to them or certain resolutions of data to them um, in, in that environment. So we're, we're enabling a much more um, a trustworthy broadcast so, in the environment. Yeah. So client versus server. Clients are those sensors and whatnot. They're the leaf nodes and whatnot. Uh, servers actually have more control and more compute. They actually distill data. And they're the ones that are, are trusted or not trusted beyond just the local network. I, I would turn that around, actually. I, I mean, I, I, won't, I won't say... I won't say static client versus server. I, I would consider a sensor node to be a, a server. I, I wouldn't expect a sensor node to push data to my processing server. I would, I would expect a processing server to connect to a sensor and, and get its data. So a subscription a, a, a subscription. Model. A subscription. Right. Yes. Yeah. So a web a web socket. So this the yeah, right. But that web socket is something that the sensor has to say is okay. Has yes. To, right. Enable the subscription, yeah. and so the sensor has to have a list of these are allowed subscribers. And and this is where where, where Joanne's definition of of trust comes in. in, in in that the sensor needs to be able to register itself. Correct. Like similar to, to, to how we do with a service mesh. So the sensor needs to be able to say, I'm here, I'm able to, produ to produce data now. And, and then when it receives a connection, it needs to be able to do, to do the equivalent of MTLS to say the, the processing server that, that requested data from me is authorized to fetch that data. Which all goes back to the pubs and the subs, who's what is authorized and what is not authorized, what is trusted and what is not trusted based on I pub and sub. And this is why MQTT works so beautifully in these situations, because literally it's a verification of a list and you can distrust a subscriber or a publisher at the drop of a hat just by dropping them off the list. And in, in, in my nirvana, you would use the immutability of the blockchain as the sort of OS, if you will, of those pub and sub lists, right? Because the chain itself is immutable, the packet delivery is secured, the registration of the devices pub or sub or both are, can also be verified, authenticated, validated, and secured. So what, what you're describing is a new pub-sub authorization list gets distributed. The, the client or the, the member of that, that mesh says, oh, look, I have a new list. Is it, authenticate, is it authentic? I can, I can decrypt it. Yay, that's one thing. But now we're going with blockchain a step further to say, can I check with my peers to see if they agree that this is actually a legitimate update? Is yes. That, and, uh, and and just to add one point, sorry, Rich, just give me one second to finish this thought. The beauty of it, in my view, is that you can then think about subnetting and the way we all subnet certain pieces of equipment or parts of a network to keep them at a distance from other parts. You could use this same mechanism to do that. So in manufacturing, you have a supplier dropping a recipe for something on a production line. You can isolate that time it, put rules around it, do whatever you know you like, even physically disconnect a wire if necessary, 
so that you, you are isolating the threat vectors from a security aspect. And this is what I think is missing. In the inter interchain protocol, the ILP, uh, which allows chains to talk to other chains and share data, this was part of the reason that that was done. And that's now a, a standard. But I would see that being even more broadly applicable on a peer-to-peer, non-blockchain peer-to-peer. Yes. Yeah. Napster like, with like, like, like again, like a like in a service mesh. It, it, it's yeah. not it's not peer to peer. It's not blockchain, but it is peer to peer. Yeah. Right. What would keep? I mean, it, the way we're describing it, it almost seems like your service mesh should use blockchain to distribute uh, the, the the peer list. Um, that that depends. The, the, okay. One of the big downsides of blockchain, as it is implemented now, it's not the 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 the, the discussion about centralized or decentralized. It's the the data retention. In current implementations of blockchain, you need to keep you need to have nodes that keep all of the data from the genesis block. Right. Uh, so and, and you need to be able to prune all data in 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 in, in situation with, with, with long running server smashes. Yeah, totally agree. But can we not call it blockchain and call it decentralized instead? Because blockchain really is only one form of DLT, decentralized ledger technology. Okay. Sure. The implementation I, of it doesn't have to be blockchain. Yeah, the only yeah I'm, I'm actually kind of excited about. DLT as a whole. Yeah. And I get a lot more nervous with the way that people talk about tokenizing and, and, you know, and, and distributing ownership of the infrastructure and all of those things with Web3. Um, but if they were, you know, if we were talking primarily about something that could take advantage of DLT to do a number of things that are very difficult to do today, then I'd be like, okay, now I'm a lot more interested. And mm -hmm. Believe me, for the event-driven stuff that I wrote about, this is a must. Yep. Something like this is absolutely necessary. And so uh, now I'm interested. And that's treating so as the, the issue with The issue with Web3 is they found blockchain as a DLT and they've stopped there. And until somebody comes along and... Uh, breaks the NIH problem, uh, they're going to stick with blockchain. But yes, decentralized ledger technology would, and some of the stuff that's been around for a long, long time that, that a lot of folks in manufacturing and other places know about, if that got introduced, then I think Web 3.0 would move a lot more quickly and coalesce faster. Yeah, just some people I think define Web 3.0 as including a financial component and a scarcity component. And so if we separate that, if we separate the sort of knowledge about what's out there and the and the sort of distributed consensus on what's out there from the idea of, you know, of essentially turning, and I'm not even sure what exactly they're trying to turn into to coin. But the idea of coin of any type, um, then um, then I then then I'm like I'm interested in the the first part and and the other part scares the crap out of me and I think is going to fail anyway because you know large scale peer to peer without it, it always you know if if there's a flow of anything involved it begins to centralize people figure out how they can capture as much of that flow as they can and they begin to centralize ownership of those things anyway so you know that's my thing you know i think somebody will dlt will also have a few vendors at play in the space regardless that own sort of a big chunk of the market but um but but the technology is really really useful right the technology uh, solves a lot of problems that we can't solve so that's probably fine and that's actually one of the reasons why I would argue that uh, Web3 built on top of blockchain is not a bad idea because unlike generalized DLT, 
blockchain has been dealing with the problem of getting peers to play fair. Explain I'm not saying that that they've succeeded. What do you mean by play fair? Um, for example, um, not not put out garbage data and and not try to centralize as as much as possible. So I'm not saying that that they succeeded 100%, but they've put effort towards it. Because when you look at the the two types of blockchain that that are popular right now, like proof of work and proof of stake, proof of work tries to incentivize uh, playing fair by making it difficult to take over the blockchain. Like compute why it's difficult. Blue proof of stake makes the changes this by by saying, well, proof of work can be gained by by just adding more nodes or or, or more hardware to it. But proof of stake, we say, okay, you need to put in a certain amount of money before you can do your your amount your work. And if and if you don't play nice, you the, the your stake is forfeit. You you get penalized for for not playing nice. It comes they, they down to a question of what's the nature of validation. Is, yes, and yeah. and this is one of the questions that yeah. I think gets lost in most of the conversation because yeah. we've been talking about the we'll call it the validity of the data. From blockchain, basically all you've got is evidence that it has either been tampered with or between the time the author of the data has placed something into the blockchain and its receipt. So that that tamper evidence, tamper, Tamper resistance at the, at the first at the first point just gives you tam, tamper evident um, kind of comfort. We've the the nature of the author, you know, the device or the sensor. We're talking about whether it has you have some reason to consider it uh, quality data possibly the fact that the sensor has been certified, registered, you know that it's um, for it to be sending something that is purposefully wrong is pretty, pretty low. You've got authentication, you've you've got a, a an identity issue about that sensor and the the entry point. The issue about access controls and who gets to talk to whom. And I think your point about introducing kind of the service mesh idea and zero trust to that kind of arena is where we really get to some of the things that um, James was just talking about. There's a comfort level in thinking about um, how all of this community is going to deal with one another and exchange information, share information, data at all of these levels. And we're not we're not doing a very good job of distinguishing the what what standard what what gives us a sense of comfort or quality at these different levels and until we get our 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 terminology and semantics correct uh we're going to be <laughs> we're going to be going around in circles um well the you know, in part, this is why I have issues with blockchain versus DLT, because in my view, DLT could be autonomous and the code of conduct and the ethics that you're referring to, Rich, don't factor in because you have bare metal that's 
authenticated, validated, verified, whatever. You have data packet that emanates from that device to another device, and it has you know, the same configuration or a slightly different configuration that can be validated, verified, blah, 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 right? Same thing. When those two peer, it becomes a moot point because the only thing that can take away- the, What becomes the moot point, John? Um, the need for a code of conduct or ethics or moral compass or whatever, you know, the, the not playing fair issue goes away because two sets of configurations that are sending data back and forth to each other in a decentralized architecture should not have to have the same concern as a Genesis block on a blockchain and who's validating it and the proof of stake or proof of work that the miners might have versus the validators might have. You don't have the issues of miners potentially might, going from a temporary right store to a permanent one. Time out. Distinguish Sorry. for me what you mean when you, or state what you mean when you distinguish miners from validators. Validators are miners. Not always. They might change too with all the differences. Pardon? Sorry, there's some background noise here. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was just with well, the three of us in the office, unfortunately. We're in an office, by the way, so don't, don't be shocked. Um, uh, but I actually thought this might be a good opportunity for Sheila to sort of share with you the work she's been doing in curating something called the DLT landscape. And it is DLT, Joanne, to your point, where blockchain is just a, a piece of that. But what's also interesting about it is, is the way in which she's analyzed the different layers and the different intersections with other technologies such as IoT and consciousness conversation. And, and also, uh, to Rich's point, you know, is this the basis? Is a DLT the basis for? Uh, tracking and ensuring provenance, uh, whether it's a sensor or whether it's just an object piece of data. I, but Jenna, maybe you would be happy to to just walk us through that. Oh yeah, so I I did share the the, the link in the chat. So in case you know you you want to take a closer look at it later and. And Joanna, it was very nice when you said, yeah, let's talk about DLT because that's the umbrella term. I've been talking about this for years <laughs> because, you know, sometimes people uh, confuse these terms like confusing blockchain with cryptocurrencies and with distributed ledgers. Obviously, every blockchain is a distributed ledger, but not every distributed ledger is a blockchain, right? So that's the rule. And, and this is one of the reasons why I actually... Uh, I created the DLT landscape and well, the, the framework behind it. This is how it all started. Now it's an open source initiative, but it used to be just a diagram, right? With with all the different layers and components. And and it was, you know, it it was, you know, inspired by this sort of confusion uh, of the terms. And also, I mean, uh, let's face it: in the last maybe three to four years, the market or well, this space has changed a lot, right? Because you know, projects and well, both projects and companies have started to innovate on top of what we knew as, you know, as just the blockchain, right? Or as, as a core distributed ledger. And, you know, sort of even when we were talking about smart contracts a few years ago, it was just part of the blockchain. But now it's actually, it's it's a completely, you know, new area. Those are yeah, transaction protocols sitting on a distributed ledger. So, you know, there are all these elements that, you know, people, well, people uh, uh, started to uh, explore and, and, and there's a lot of innovation that was happening in the market. And this is why we created, <laughs> we created uh, this DLT landscape. So it, it's, um, it's, it's supposed to be a business stack, but that has a technology foundation. And uh, what we did is, you know, it's just uh, going up from the compute infrastructure then to the, yeah, then to the core distributed ledger or the protocols then, you know, the importance of, obviously, this technology doesn't uh, stand on its own. It's, it's much more powerful when you combine it with, you know, the other technology, IoT, AI, and so on. So there's a layer for that. Then, you know, the importance of interoperability. It's not just between distributed ledgers, but, you know, with other legacy systems and so on. And then, you know, the smart contracts, digital tokens, digital wallets that would come on top. Then you have a whole area of you know application de development tools that you know would help 
would, would make the developers' lives easier and also integrations into existing uh, applications that are now enhanced. They used to be, you know, maybe it was just a normal supply chain software and now it's enhanced with the distributed ledger. And then, you know, all the applications would come. And, and when I say applications, those are all multi-party, right? It could be, you know, between uh, people or between organizations, but all multi-party. And that's, you know, we know that there are so many things happening, right? Decentralized marketplaces, industry-specific, you know, solutions and so on. And then you see on the on the two side of the of the of the stack, you will see those companies that are actually trying to, you know, make everyone's life easier and make all these things work together. Maybe not everything, but you know, some of these things work together and free organizations and people from having to build these things themselves. And those would be, you know, all the platform providers like BTP. Uh, as well as you know, professional services firms and you know the standards organizations that are working on a lot of uh, a lot of uh, the things that would you know foster adoption in in this space. That's an that's an amazing chart. Kudos for that. But I have a question: Where do the protocols come in? Like ILP, which took two and a half, almost three years to create, um, and seems to be now gaining some traction. How are those being addressed within your charting system or within the community at large? Sorry, which protocol? I, di I didn't catch. The Interledger protocol. Uh, well, uh, for me, the Interledger protocol would be uh, in the interoperability layer. It's, I know it's not there. Because the Interledger protocol at the beginning, they were more, uh, they were essentially focused on making, you know, different uh, ledgers work together. Yeah, wasn't that well, yeah wasn't that the goal? So I I would say that that would you know that would be one of the projects that is uh, that is working interoperability to 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 make that happen. So that would appear there. I know it's not a there's not, not an exhaustive list, and I'm sure and it's you know. If you you know whenever you have time to go through and then you if you have some other feedback I mean I'm I'm I know that there's not maybe I don't I haven't um, included everything and this is going to change and there are some you know projects as you mentioned legend that are missing but it's 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 a matter of just adding it um, you can uh, you can even do it yourself just by uh, opening a pull request or I can do it but uh, it's 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 a good point. So, you know, there are, there are things, projects and um, offerings that are not on the landscape. But yeah, yeah, Interledger, the reason, again, yeah. Yeah, yeah the ahead. reason I ask, I ask the question is because, I mean, I was part of that project, but irrespective okay. of that, um, what I'm hearing from a lot of different people um, in, in different parts of the DLT community is that they're looking to establish a set of protocols for cross-chain, interchain, mm -hmm. Yeah. That would include some of the trust and some of the um, uh, sort of security and authentication, but authority is becoming the bigger issue. And so as I look at that and I don't see things like that starting to percolate out in, in your diagram, it's not about the diagram. It's about the fact that it either is being hyped by certain groups and, and really it's not gaining the momentum people are thinking or it actually is and it hasn't come to the right people's attention yet because it's a movement of saying if we create a cross-chain protocol that allows you to populate multiple chains with the same data because you're in an industry ecosystem for example so suppliers manufacturers etc uh, then you have a facility to offload some of the repetition of data that's starting to percolate across chains mm -hmm. i have it on X chain, I have it on Y chain. Why, why aren't I sharing this data across? Joanne, what would, would you drill down one one layer on the term you just used, which is authority? You just you. You, you are who I know you to be, Rich. You are who <laughs> I know you to be. That is authority or, or authentication. To me, it's authority. You have the authority. Because you've been validated, verified, you know, secured, blessed, water of, of any kind of variety has been thrown on you. Um, you know, you've said the Shema five times, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, 
you have that authority to be able to then transact. In other words, you you have been zero trusted. Okay, so there's there's an authorization aspect that you're talking as about. well. Okay, fine. You have that the authority what, that, now. Do I authorize was, you to do it? Was, yes or no? That wasn't clear with the use of the term. That's why I asked. Okay. So <laughs> this has been a spirited conversation and we're definitely going to come back to it. Um, but we are also at the top of the hour, so we need to we need to wrap it for today. Um, this is a fascinating tangent um, where I think we've really expanded um, some of what where we've gone with these conversations into new fascinating areas. And so um, I'm looking forward to the next couple of conversations about this. And I appreciate uh, learning so much. So thank you all. And I'll see you all in a week. Cheers. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Cheers. Wow. What a fascinating conversation about how we are going to build trust and identity and verify distributed systems in the future. These are future topics for the Cloud 2030 group. Please come join us. Be part of exploring how Web3 and distributed infrastructure, is it even a thing? And if it is a thing, why should you care? How can you participate? Um, those are exactly the type of topics that come up in our roundtable discussions. And you can join us at the 2030.cloud. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.